everyone, and thank you for joining us for our Dimensions of Wellness podcast series, where we talk about the eight dimensions of wellness and how they can help lead to a balanced and empowered lifestyle. This is your host, Jamini Patel, and I am a nephrology medical science liaison here at Otsuka Pharmaceuticals. In today's episode, we will be delving into the seventh dimension of wellness, occupational wellness, and our featured guest for this important conversation is none other than Hannah Graves. Hannah Graves is a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology in 2009, followed by a master's degree in social work from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee at the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare. Hannah has significant experience working in hospice, short-term rehab, and in dialysis from 2016 to 2019. Currently, Hannah works for Apex Health Innovations, a global healthcare technology company, and Piedmont Transplant Institute, supporting patients through their transplant journey. Thank you very much, Hannah, for taking the time to join us today. We're so excited to have you. So excited to be here, Jamie. I can't wait to talk about this topic. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Yeah, let's get right into it. So when we talk about occupational wellness, you know, I know you and I have had many conversations about this. It really boils down to work-life balance. And it seems simple enough when you're looking at it from a distance or on paper, but it seems increasingly difficult to be able to achieve that these days. And I can imagine it's exponentially difficult when you have a life-changing illness such as kidney disease, especially if you have end-stage kidney disease or require dialysis. Hannah, with the experience you have working with patients with kidney disease, especially those needing dialysis, what have you noticed about how patients manage all the responsibilities in their lives and how does this affect their occupational health and wellness? Such a timely question, Jamie. I so appreciate you delving into this because so many times, especially in the United States, that we identify ourselves by what work we do, how productive we are, how much money we make. And when something like an illness comes along that prevents us from doing what we've always done, breaks our routines, we don't feel well, we really lose sight of who we are. And there's just this overwhelming sense of unknowing and dread and fear, which comes with illness. And so so many times the patients that I've seen manage this well, when they've had this terribly upsetting, sudden diagnosis of end-stage kidney disease, for example, they've taken that challenge and turned it into their new job. And those are the patients that seem to be the most successful coping skills wise. They kind of lose a little bit of humor, not a dark humor necessarily, but just try to roll with it. And I find those patients that look to their self is the most important job that they've ever had, are more successful managing this kind of tumultuous time in their life than those patients that really struggle in their grief of this loss of self and identity that comes with, you know, the interruption and illness can have on your flow of life. And so um, it can have a really big impact um, in terms of, you know, occupation, like going to work. And that's why we in the United States, end-stage renal disease is kind of an automatic 
in for disability in terms of being able to earn a disability income due to end-stage kidney disease because it has been recognized that maintaining a quote-unquote normal work schedule is very challenging when you're having to be on dialysis three times a week. There are follow-up appointments kind of on your quote-unquote off dialysis days. And so um, that's why disability becomes such an important piece to this puzzle in maintaining these folks and those folks who are able to kind of roll with it in terms of making their new job, their health, seem to be the most successful compared to those who are really struggling to move forward and feeling very overwhelmed. You bring up an excellent point, Hannah. Thank you for sharing all of that about how these patients who are really successful focus on themselves, right? Their identity isn't placed externally in their job or their social habits or what have you, they really take it upon themselves to care for themselves and prioritize themselves. But for some folks, that's really hard to do, especially if you're very career driven or say you've been, you know, the breadwinner of a family and now you're the person who's going through all of this. It can be really hard, I feel, for some patients to accept that. What are some pitfalls you've noticed in your patients in the way they lead their lives that ultimately can lead to this poor balance and, you know, what some of us would maybe even call a downward spiral? Absolutely great point. You you hit the nail on the head is that those who are unable to differentiate themselves from their work, and I have heard just the most amazing stories of the workloads patients have taken on prior to this. For example, um, a lot of patients that I work with um, were truck drivers, um, long haul semi-truck drivers across the country, um, had a lot of kind of self-driven, no pun intended, um, motivation to, to do these long hauls and to do them quickly so they wouldn't stop for necessarily, you know, restroom breaks or rest breaks or um, eating well, you know, when you're on the road, there's not a lot of like healthy food options. And so um, these career focused people, when this illness came, it completely interrupted the way they lived. They couldn't you can't drive long haul when you need dialysis every other day. And so that is the the kind of like, oh my gosh, if I can't do what I've always done, then I'm not who I've always been. If I'm not who I've always been, I don't know how to move forward because I've never not been who I am. And so it's this, like you just said, this just this spiral that you can just get really caught up to. And before you know it, you're at the bottom of the barrel. In fact, you're breaking through the bottom of the barrel to get even lower because you just, you're, there's nothing to hold on to within yourself because everything was external. Your sense of accomplishment, your feelings of adequacy, your ability to provide for your family, to give them the things that you feel are important, obviously, material things, a roof over your head, so on and so forth. But when that isn't available anymore and you have to stop and kind of reflect, it may be very scary to, to notice how much there is no other side to you. And that's where patients go through a lot of grief processing, um, a lot of depression we see, um, and an opportunity, if we look at it that way, to reinvent yourself. There's no need to just stay there. It's just how long does it take the patient 
to come to the conclusion that I am more than the work that I did. And that is exactly the conversations we have. And it can take you 10 minutes or it can take you 10 years to process that. And so that's part of this, the work that I work very hard to is to have those conversations to help patients move through that not as quickly as possible, but you know, when you're feeling down, you'd rather not stay there any longer than you have to. And so that's, that's really what I try to try to do in my roles um, with patients is help them move to a place where they can do some productive work instead of just beating themselves up all the time. And, and that kind of work is, I mean, I can't even begin to stress how important that is. And, and not just even for kidney disease patients, but for the community as a whole. I mean, I feel like in the United States, we have this culture, this tendency to place our worth externally and to, you know, forget who we are and forget what our priorities are to ourselves. And, you know, we have a lot to learn, I think, from younger generations. You know, you and I were kind of just talking about this, about how, you know, the society, I feel like, has become a little fed up with how we're almost expected to give up who we are for our jobs, our families, our friends, and forget about ourselves along the way. And that in and of itself can worsen your illness or can send you into a different spiral. So the fact that you're having these conversations to change the narrative for these patients is unbelievably important. And I think it, it provides them with the perspective they need to be able to have a positive outlook on their life and, you know, even their disease even. And I think that may even help them to, whether that's being adherent to dialysis or their medications or doctor's appointment, when you have a more positive outlook, um, you know, it portends better outcomes. And I think we definitely know that for sure. So when you're speaking with your patients, how do you counsel them when you notice their illness is almost taking over their lives and they're unable to work or unable to enjoy their personal lives? You know, we often lean on our caregivers to help with this and, and they can obviously um, experience burnout too. But what about for patients who don't have that support system? That's a really great question, Amy. And, you know, you were talking about such relative things in society and particularly when you are not feeling well, you're obviously not at, at your best because you don't feel well for starters. And um, so much of, you know, who you feel like you are is tapped into the things that you enjoy. And if you feel unwell to participate in those, well, you know, what do you do? And those are the conversations that we have. And, and most of it, it, it sounds like kind of mindless chatter when you're, when you're talking about it, but what you're really exploring is where does your mind keep taking you? Like, what is it that your mind is wanting you to address and that you keep actively avoiding? And it's, and so many times in, you know, in our culture, we, we avoid what is uncomfortable and avoid what makes us feel bad because those are perceived as um, air quoting, you can't see me, you know, bad things to do. And it's okay to feel bad and be sad and um, go through those emotions and cry. I mean, please, like you're not a robot for heaven's sakes and, and have those emotions. But um, one of the things that I've always kind of 
hold on when I'm working through life, which is a challenge in and of itself. And I don't live with chronic illness at this time, knock on wood. Um, but self-discipline and self-discipline being applied to disciplining your disappointment. And that's what really is, you know, happening here for these patients. You know, I always tease none of us are in kindergarten saying, I can't wait to grow up and be on dialysis. Like no, no one would say that ever. And, and so you're really disappointed more so than you are, you know, very uncomfortable. Dialysis is not, you know, an enjoyable activity, but it is a means to an end. And if you can discipline your disappointment and say, yeah, this is not what I was planning on doing, but I'm here now. And what am I going to do about it? And especially pulling on your community, the, the nephrology community, like this opportunity here to have this podcast conversation. There's so many resources out there. And there's so many people that have gone through this experience and perhaps got transplanted and want to help those coming up behind them manage this process all the better. Um, and that's particularly, you know, if you do live alone or perhaps you have family that is either, you know, passed away or live far away geographically from you. And although they can be, you know, supportive, the hard part with folks that aren't experiencing what you're experiencing thing is they don't understand that this is kind of going to be a lifelong thing for you. This isn't right. going to be something they can fix for you. Mm -hmm. So all that to say is just really reaching out. And that's a hard thing in of itself um, for us as people to do, because we are all pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and we don't yeah. ask for help. And, and I think that's a lot about you know, when we have our conversations that, does that sound possible to you to live in a society where you work alone? Like, no, it's not. And so just kind of un unraveling what it is, these preconceived notions of success and, and quote unquote good is, and, and just kind of having conversations that seem kind of insignificant chatter, but really it's letting your mind process what it's struggling with in a safe place that there's no judgment, there's no confrontation. I'm not a confrontation person, so I wouldn't be able to do any work um, in a confrontation environment. And so um, having the opportunity to con converse about these things with someone that maybe, you know, understands the disease progression would allow someone to just process and move forward if they're ready to do so. So really, really good questions and, and points to be made here. And I appreciate you asking them. No, we appreciate all the insight that you have. I mean, I think it's such an important conversation, you know, to have about kind of breaking down some of the walls that we have about our own pride regarding reaching out. I, I feel like our society is always like, you need to be strong. And, you know, there's a lot of pride in being able to take care of yourself. And as you mentioned, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being able to handle everything. And I think slowly now that, you know, we're having these conversations around mental health, being able to reach out and ask for help, there's no shame in that. And I think having that conversation with patients, especially our older generations, where I feel like they're a bit more resistant to reaching out for help, you know, it's so important to be able to explain to them and share with them that there's no shame in it. We're all here as a community to be able to help you get through this, especially with their caregivers. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, being able to process, you know, their emotions without judgment. Part of that is also having a community or speaking to 
others who may have the similar diseases that you have. So you feel like you can open up and talk about your, you know, emotions or uh, your, your concerns, what have you with folks who may be going through the same thing. What are some other tools or suggestions you have that can allow patients to be able to better handle the stresses of having an illness while also trying to maintain a productive work life if they're able to and a personal life? Those are really great questions. And it's such an exciting time with it being 2023 and the advances in technology and medicine. We are best equipped ever, if we've ever been, to manage life in challenging situations, particularly following the pandemic. I feel like that was a really challenging time for all of us, whether you were personally affected or, you know, just watching images on TV and listening to people's stories. I mean, this this was quite a time to come through. And, and now that we're kind of, quote unquote, on the other side, you know, reflecting on some of the tools we've really been able to utilize is the virtual platforms. And what's lovely is you literally can be anywhere. You can be cleaning up your kitchen after dinner, or you could be sitting, you know, on the couch listening, or you can even be, you know, driving in the car, listening to a pad a podcast. So, so much of the tools that we now have available are so much more accommodating to the personal needs of the person on the other side. Um, transportation has always been a challenge in the medical community, whether it's being able to get to your appointments or being able to navigate the this rural versus the urban areas to access healthcare. Um, I'm speaking to you from Atlanta, Georgia, and people who live in Atlanta, Georgia don't want to drive in Atlanta, let alone folks who live outside the community to drive in for resources. And so the virtual opportunities for support group, for being able to access a mentor um, on the phone or through a video call and be able to not feel like you have to, oh, what do I wear? Or, oh, I'm this is too stressful. I'll just forget it. I'm not even going to go. And, and so a lot of that has been alleviated through the tools that we now have available with, which, you know, pre-COVID, we didn't really consider. We held in-person support groups. Like I said, in, in Atlanta and people didn't want to come to Atlanta, so they didn't come to the support group. And that's, you know, really sad because they missed an opportunity to connect with their peers, have conversations, come to innovative conclusions based on other people's experiences that they then were able to further explore because they had these interactions. And so I really, uh, I know that some of the virtual opportunities kind of keep us all at arm's length from each other, but they also allow us to come together from all over the country, from across time zones, from across cultural experiences and, and share and support and lift up. So I just can't speak enough um, of the opportunity of being able to to work into your schedule, the support that's out there and not have to do the reverse anymore where you have to leave work early to get to somewhere because there's an hour drive or whatever the case may be. So just really excited for the tools that are available, such as the conversations we're having here today. You can listen to it anytime. You can back it up and hear it again. If you miss something, it's not like this, you know, this anxiety provoking experience of like, what did they say? What does that mean? Like, 
And then you can talk about it with, you know, your group of people and create your own networks, right? Like we don't have to stay in, um, you know, your neighborhood or, you know, your family is wonderful, but maybe they just don't understand this piece. And you can pull in people and friends and that you never would have met before if you wouldn't have had this, uh, this tool at your disposal. So I'm really excited to see um, what folks make of the future opportunities and just encourage you to have an open mind and yeah, it's scary change and it's new, but it could be so great. So just really excited for the virtual tools that we now have available to us. Yeah, no, I think, I think you bring up such a good point. And I mean, you were, you and I were chatting about this, you know, before we started recording the podcast about how hard it's been to make friends, especially post pandemic. And, you know, I think the virtual platform is such an amazing way to not only have that community that you need, but to just make friends, which can enhance your social network and, you know, make you feel uplifted. Um, You know, you have essentially somebody to lean on both, you know, kind of a two-way street in that sense. And I think, you know, it's always fun to meet people in person, but that has become very, very challenging. Sometimes that adds a lot more stress to somebody. It can be deterring. And I think our virtual platforms have actually maybe even enhanced a lot of the opportunities that folks have from, like you were saying, all over the world even to connect and to get to know people they may never have met before. Uh, So it's such a lovely opportunity that I hope we have more of in the future to help patients kind of cope with you know, the loneliness of being, um, you know, having a disease or just, you know, having a community in that sense. But I think a lot of it also has to start with, you know, changes in our society and how we live and work and ways we can change to better, you know, accommodate those who are maybe struggling to achieve any semblance of balance. You know, what changes do you think need to be made, especially for those with a chronic or acute illness even? Boy, that's a great question. If I had a magic wand, I always say that to patients, if I had a magic wand and I waved it, what would your life look like right now? And, you know, it's funny how many of them don't say my kidney disease would go away. More of them would say, um, I wish I had more energy. I wish that the magic wand would give me, you know, energy and enthusiasm for life again. And obviously not being on dialysis, but it's, it's interesting that when you think about what do I need to have happen to me right now? So I feel better. Yeah. Get rid of the chronic illness, but it's, it's more of what we identify as being our core attributes. Like I used to be so fun or I used to be so energetic and I wish I had that back. And, and I think what we, what we have lost as a society and what hurts my heart so bad is we have no grace with each other. We have no patience, understanding, compassion. Like I always, I'm like, these are carbon-based forms that we're in. They don't last forever. None of us are going to be here into the hundreds of years in the future. We all have such a limited time and we all have the same expectations on us. We need to do our laundry and we need to do something productive to earn income, to support our needs. Like we're all in this together and we really lost track of that over so many different 
happenings and we won't even bring those all up because it's so upsetting but we lost track that we are more similar than we are different and I've been excited to see us talking about different ways of living different experiences but in all of that differences we forgot that we're all just here and we're here and we're doing the best we can and we are all subject to disease and we are all subject to aging and and that's great like this is a wonderful experience and if we could just be a little kinder to each other and if we don't understand say hey I don't understand can you tell me about that instead of just we just just put these blinders on and are just so like hard on each other and and then we're hard on ourselves and it just doesn't you know go anywhere we are not productive that way and I just wish that we could just be a little bit more graceful um, with each other and ourselves give yourself some grace if you just got diagnosed with a chronic illness like just be nice to yourself listen like what's happening what's the changes and you know what you can change please do if you need to be a fun person well go do something fun like no one's stopping you so um I just wish that we would be nicer to each other and remember that if you want someone to be kind and give you grace that you please start with yourself and give someone grace and just start small like at the grocery store if someone forgot something in line in front of you and ran to get it you know take a breath look at the magazine in the you know in the that's sitting there in front of you trying to get it to buy you like you know like just take a breath. And I just, I really hope that we can all do that because it's, we have a very finite time here and the way we decide to use it is the way that it will be used. And anytime you can change that. And it's super exciting um, to remember that. And so that would just kind of be my thoughts on not only chronic illness, but just the life process itself. So um, I can talk more on that, but I'll stop there and just say, <laughs> let's just be kind to each other and do the best that we can. And let's see what happens. No, Hannah, you know, you bring up such an excellent point about, you know, being kinder and how we could really change the world just by incrementally increasing the amount of kindness we put into the world. And, and certainly we could all receive a little bit more kindness and grace, whether it's from our employers, or whether it's from our family and friends and not placing expectations on one another that, you know, you mentioned earlier, we're not robots. We certainly can't do it all. And, you know, especially for, for folks who might be struggling with an illness, realizing that, you know, they need some space and time to process what they're going through and that they may not be able to, you know, do what they're able to do from, you know, from when before they had their illness and just really being understanding of that and understanding of limitations. And yeah, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head with, with the kindness piece. I think the more kindness we put into the world, the more grace we put into the world, the less we'll judge others and hopefully the less we'll judge ourselves. Um, and I think that will hopefully create a more positive society and, and one that where we're all able to kind of achieve a bit more work-life balance in the future. But we really really greatly appreciate you giving us the time today speaking on this important topic. You had such wonderful insights and thank you everyone for tuning in today. We hope you had some fun and learned something new. I certainly did. 
uh, during our seventh episode of this series. These podcasts are also available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So be sure to like and subscribe to the Nephew podcast channel on whichever platform you use. And with that, thank you all again. Uh, thank you, Hannah, again. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next edition of our Dimensions of Wellness podcast. Thank you.